this is Guest List. I'm Kevin Coffey, music critic for the Omaha World Herald. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Guest List. I'm really happy you joined me for our new podcast. This episode features my conversation with John Prine, the writer of classic songs like Sam Stone. During the interview, we talk about Connor Oberst, uh, a song that mentions Lincoln, Nebraska from his new record, and I even asked him about one of my favorite songs of all time, which is Angel from Montgomery. But before we get to that, I want to talk about concerts. Specifically, I want to talk about my favorite concerts ever. I have been to a lot of concerts. Uh, By my estimation, it's something like 2,000 bands for the last 10 years that I've been working at the World Herald. Uh, Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I've had this job for 10 years, which is a little nuts. And a thing that people uh, ask me about all the time is, what's your favorite concert ever, man? You've got to have a concert that, like, your favorite. And I never have an answer for them. It's the worst, worst thing ever. So, uh, I decided I would write a column. I'm going to come up with my favorite concert ever, but I couldn't think of one. So I just kind of, you know, like, picked my favorite ten. And so I want to mention them really quick on the podcast. Uh, I'm going to start with most recent Actually, my most recent favorite concert in my top ten goes all the way back to 2016, which is when I saw Paul Simon at Pinewood Bowl. It was amazing. I had seen him before, and he's obviously incredible, but it was really cool to hear him play some of his best songs. Each one had hundreds of instruments. I actually talked to the sound guy afterwards, and they had something like 110 channels uh, in the live show, which was nuts. Uh, Going back a little before that, one of my favorite bands of all time, personally, because I grew up listening to them all the time, is 311. And at their anniversary show in Omaha, it was really cool, but afterwards, they decided to go to the Hive, which is kind of a 311-themed bar, nightclub, whatever, in downtown Omaha, and they came in there, a few hundred people packed into the place, and they played three songs. Like, when was the last time 311 played a downtown bar in Omaha? Uh, probably when they lived in Omaha. For that, Bruce Springsteen, CenturyLink Center, 2012, Uh, epic show, played a lot of songs from Nebraska, which is a great album. That same year, this is a big year for me, uh, Jack White came to Hollywood Candy, which is a little place in Omaha. It's a candy store, and they have a small room that they call a theater, which is literally a room with some chairs in it uh, that maybe 100 people fit into. Same year, I saw the Hold Steady play the Waiting Room Lounge, and it was epic. I've seen them tons of times, and Every time's been amazing, but that was my favorite ever. Uh, Days of Parasitos, the Omaha band fronted by Connor Oberst. I got a text message that was like, they're playing a secret rehearsal show at Slowdown, which is a club in Omaha that is uh, co-owned by the president of Saddle Creek Records. And so there were very few people there. I went to the show, wrote about it. It literally became international music news the next day. Another on my list was the Foo Fighters. They're one of my favorite bands. I've seen them a few times, first time in high school, but in 2011 they came to town, uh, Motorhead was supposed to open, and Motorhead's plane got delayed. So the Foo Fighters felt bad about it to the point where they played for three hours, and Dave Grohl said these are literally all the songs that we know. Uh, They also did bring, as a little nod, they brought Motorhead's guitarist on stage and played Ace of Spades. It was sweet. Uh, This one is really random. I was at Lollapalooza in 2010. I was sitting backstage, and someone goes, hey, Phoenix is going to play an acoustic show. And I'm like, what? That's weird. They're headlining tonight. And they're like, no, no, backstage, right over here. So I went and stood and watched as they played two songs for me and about 15 people. It was filmed for a TV show. 
on the Fuse Network. If you ever see it somewhere, it's probably on YouTube. I'm probably sitting there looking like a complete moron gawking at it. Uh, and then rounding out my top ten, one of my favorite bands of all time, and I'm really sad that their frontman passed away earlier this year, uh, is Frightened Rabbit. Scott Hutchison passed away earlier in 2018. And I first saw them in 2010 at South by Southwest. And there were very few people there. It was cold and rainy, like they brought Scotland with them to Austin, Texas. And they just emotionally belted out almost every song from their first two albums, and it was incredible. I was transfixed. They immediately became one of my favorite bands. Uh, And then number 10 on the list, almost forgot it, was uh, seeing Daniel Johnston. Uh, Devil and Daniel Johnston had come out a few years before that and. He had become this, like, cultural phenomenon. And, of course, everybody knew the T-shirt that he wore, uh, that Kurt Cobain wore of his album cover, and that was kind of a thing. So I was really excited he came to town. I had interviewed him. It was really neat. And, like, 50 people showed up to this show. Couldn't believe it. I, I was like, There's, this place is going to be packed. Nobody. There's nobody there. Uh, I stood, like, five feet from him, just transfixed for the whole show. So, naturally, I go to a ton of concerts. One of my favorites in recent memory was seeing Ghost the heavy metal satanic band. I'd seen them before a few times, always, of course, opening for another band. I'd actually never seen them headline. So, they come to Omaha. They go to the Orpheum Theater, this beautiful, ornate, old theater in Omaha, Nebraska, and they totally rocked it. You know, they come in... They're such an interesting band because they come in in the makeup and the costumes and the it's all this stuff and you know a lot of metalheads are like they're not metal like oh they're not metal they're pop music yeah yeah they are they're totally pop music like they're metal too they're pop they're death metal they're singing about mummies and singing literally singing hail satan you know there's a gothic rock thing to it there's a psychedelic thing to it but the whole thing is that it it's theater man it's a show. It's all about the experience. You know, they call they literally call their concerts rituals. They're like singing about summoning Satan. And, you know, even that is over the top. Like, they're singing about the literal devil. And it's hilarious and amazing. The costumes and the characters and the high-minded occult lyrics. You know, it was just an incredible, cool experience. And it was all heightened by being in this grandiose old theater. Um, you know, they had the black vestments, a cardinal's red cassock, that, you know, uh, Cardinal Copia brought out a swinging censer full of incense. He had a Beretta. A Beretta is one of those three-cornered hats that cardinals and priests wear in the Catholic Church, except this one, the three corners on top, were fashioned into horns and a devil's wing, uh, you know, the, the inverted crosses on the shirts in costumes and stuff. Uh, it was also cool to see the band expand beyond a four-piece. In the past, I'd seen them. They'd, like, rock 45 minutes before Iron Maiden or Avenged Sevenfold or whoever I was at the show to see. And that night, no, man, they had, like, seven members. It was crazy. They had the ghouls. They had the ghoulettes, which were a couple female members. Uh, Papa, Papa Nile showed up for a saxophone solo. It was just hilarious and over-the-top. Uh, my favorite moment of the show had to have been uh, they did a cover of uh, Rocky Erickson's song, and it was really, really cool. And uh, <laughs> in the middle, Cardinal Copia goes around from member to member and does the 
the band introduction, right? Which we've all seen 8,000 times. It's like, eh, give it up for so-and-so, and people cheered, whatever. Well, he went to every single member of the band and did this elaborate, long introduction. He was like, give it up for Ghoul. And he just did it for every person, introducing them as Ghoul. And it was hysterical. I was just laughing hysterically. I had such a good time. So yeah, that was just a really cool theatrical show, and I wish more bands would kind of get into that rather than, you know, just standing on stage and playing their instruments and being really boring. So yeah, that was a really good time. But now I'm excited to bring you to what you tuned to this podcast for, John Prine. He called me from Nashville to talk about, among other things, his new record, which is called True Forgiveness. Uh, he talked about being a longtime fan of Connor Oberst, who's actually opening his concert here in Nebraska. And then he also told me about how he wrote uh, one of his new songs, Egg and Daughter Night, Lincoln, Nebraska, 1967, Crazy Bone. So enjoy the conversation. For starters, I was excited when you put the record out. And, you know, it's your first album in not a long time, but in a little while. Uh, first one of new music original music so i wonder what kind of pushed you to put out a new record my my wife is my longtime manager and business partner albanetta passed away real sudden about three years ago mm-hmm. and so my, my wife took over the management and our oldest son took over oh boy running the record company and they approached me last summer and you know a year ago like in, in uh What's that been? I'm losing track of time. 2017, they approached yeah. me that summer and said, "It's time to make a record." I thought, I thought I put the that fair and square record out about five or six years ago. So they they rented me a suite in uh, the Omni downtown Nashville, it was connected to the yeah. Hall of Fame. I like to go down there whenever I got somebody in town that hasn't been to Nashville, and uh, I like to wander around down there. So they put me in a suite because I work better off on the road than I do at home. And, uh, <laughs> and I just got uh, about 10 boxes of unfinished lyrics and three guitars and a ukulele. And I finished uh, writing uh, the songs for the record. They had time booked at Studio A with Dave Cobb the following week. And, I mean, the record took no time to put together, about four days. Wow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's what I said too. <laughs> That's pretty quick. Um, is Dave Cobb's a great guy, and is you work with some really cool people on the record, which have also worked with Dave. Is that how some of those came together? Yeah, uh, well, actually, there were people like Jason is, but we've been we've been doing shows together the last four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason was good enough to open some shows where he could have sold the place out himself probably two or three times, and. Uh, the same with uh, uh, some of the other guests on the record, you know. They've all been really nice. I guess it's because I'm an old man now. They're helping me out. <laughs> uh, well, when you're here in Omaha, Nebraska, you're uh, going to be playing with Connor Oberst. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Connor's good enough to help us out, too, in both uh, Omaha and Kansas City. Yeah, we did the Greek theater about I guess I'm guessing it was three years ago me and Connor did you know and I, I told him I was a early fan of his I, I bought the first two or three records that, that I really liked his stuff you know 
So we had a good meeting at the Greek, and uh, I'm looking forward to doing the shows with him now. Yeah, so that was one of the things I want to ask about, too, being here in Nebraska. Can you tell me about writing Egg and Daughter Night? Because it mentioned like, Nebraska, and I w- wondered what the story was behind that stuff. Okay, well, I thought I thought it was a I thought it was a reference of my my buddy that told me the story. Uh, he told me we were out fishing, and he told me uh, that uh, it was he said back back in Nebraska on Thursdays, him and his buddies used to go to the bowling alley or the roller rink on Thursday nights, and uh, egg farmers would come to town and drop their daughters down there. And uh, everybody started referring to it as egg and daughter night. Because they'd make, they'd make time with the country girls while their fathers were selling eggs in town. And I I thought it was a really, uh, like a long, you know, like a, a shaggy dog story, right? And yeah. But I love the term egg and daughter night. So it sent me to thinking I wanted to write a song about that. And after I wrote the song and called it Lincoln, Nebraska, 1967, Egg and Daughter Night. My buddy tells me he's never been to Lincoln, that he grew up in Norfolk. <laughs> and I said, it's too late to change it because some of the best lines in the song rhyme with Lincoln. <laughs> and and, and, uh, and to further confuse things, after my record came out this last April, uh, one of the girls down at Old Boy, uh, <laughs> she's uh, looked up on the internet, egg and daughter night, and found out it was a real thing. Like, and, uh, a fellow sent us a paper he did, uh, like for school. He wrote about egg and daughter night. It goes back like 150 years. You know, wow. it was, it was more referring to, uh, uh, back then, this would have been like turn of the century, you know. Um, what they do is like the farmers had so many daughters. They just take the one that cooks the best, and they send the other. They they take the rest into town when they throw their eggs in hope that in hopes that the daughters will get married off. <laughs> they refer to it as egg and daughter night. So I, I felt like a, I felt somewhat like a, you know relieved that that it wasn't totally a shaggy dog story. <laughs> I would imagine some more more layers to the song than even you do. Yeah, some of the older folks in Nebraska might have different stories about Egg and Daughter Night. <laughs> I really like this new record. Uh, it's really great. Have you been writing a lot before you wrote songs that ended up on this record? I've been procrastinating. Uh, I get, I'll get one idea and I'll procrastinate for a year. You know, I think I didn't want to finish songs because that meant I would have to go in the studio. And I thought it didn't like going in the studio. Anyway, it all worked out for the better. You know, but, I mean, you, you would think after making, what, 14, 15 albums, I mean, you, you would think, I mean, I know other other people, like, live in the studio. You know, they have those in their houses. And I don't want that. I don't, I don't, when I'm done with a record, I don't want to see a studio until the next record, yeah. <laughs> oh, it was really pleasant working with uh, Dave Cobb. It was really great. I thought we really connected. and. Every suggestion he had really helped the record along a, a whole lot. Well, you you've always seem like somebody who's a little more interested in the writing and stuff than you are in the in recording. My main thing is to go play a live concert. That's that's what I do for a living. You know, yeah. making records is a byproduct. 
I couldn't imagine making a record where I actually got checks in the mail and didn't have to go on, get on an airplane to buy my wife a refrigerator, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I heard, that- some people, I heard that some people make a living doing that, making records, but I can't imagine it. Doesn't sound like nearly as fun as going out and playing shows. <laughs> yeah, if I could, if I only I could transport myself to these cities where I've got to go to an airport. Tour, tour buses don't get it for me there. A tour bus is just one big party to me. <laughs> you know, so I end up not in very good shape when the tour is done. Do you still like being out on the road? I like it once I get there. It's the tra- the only bad part is the traveling part. I mean, if, if I could ha- if I could have a private jet, I doubt if I would go on the road because it costs so much money for the jet. You know? <laughs> but but that would be the way to travel. I'm always interested in the way you started. I mean, you started writing songs and you're a mailman. Was that just because you enjoyed writing the songs? It was it was my getaway. It was my getaway from the world. You know. Yeah. I just like I write songs for my own entertainment. Like by the time that I finally stepped on stage, I think maybe two of my friends and maybe one or two of my brothers had heard my songs. Nobody else had. You know, I I, I just would write them and enjoy them and go on to the next song. It was only a little over a year before I got signed to Atlantic. Everything oh, wow. happened. Boom, 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 like that. Maybe, maybe not quite 18 months, you know, but before, from the first time I stepped on stage to when I got a record contract. I'm still always amazed at uh, the fact that you wrote Angel from Montgomery when you were in your 20s, because that song has so much weight to it. I couldn't imagine thinking of things like that when I was that age. Well, I, I mean, I didn't know any better. You know, <laughs> I wanted to write something. I know I wanted to write something original. And I guess I was thinking, now that I look back at it, I was probably thinking more like a, a novelist than a songwriter. You know, some yeah. of the subjects that I picked on. And <laughs> if I would have known that you weren't supposed to write about stuff that that young, I probably wouldn't have. But, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, uh, there was a certain amount of, uh, I can see this now, you know, now that I'm in my 70s. I look back and there was a, uh, a certain amount of innocence in all those songs in the first record. And yeah. Something that, something that after I got signed to a, a big time a major record deal and traveled around and lived like a rock star, <laughs> like I was no longer that mailman writing those story songs, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Once I left there, I couldn't return. Yeah. Um. In these shows that you're playing now, are you playing a lot of the new records? Oh, we're playing every song. Oh, great. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, still finding time for a lot of the classics, too. Well, and that's what I was going to say, is you've got so many songs that I would consider classics. I don't know how in the hell you would pick which ones to play. Well, I tried to pick some of them. I tried to pick ones that we hadn't been doing in the last five years. Yeah. and it, it seems to work out really good. I mean, I can't remember the last new record I put out where I did every cut and the audience wasn't going, you know, from the get-go screaming Sam Stone and everything. 
Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the audience is, I got a really great band, and and they're really enjoying the new stuff. That's awesome. And I got stories to tell on about half the time, so nobody seems to be complaining. Well, thanks a lot, John, for taking the time for me today. I really appreciate it. Sure, Kevin. Thank you.